I've been attacked by the palm tree officially. <clears throat> Hi there. It's good to be with each and every one of you, and uh, I want to know how many of you have ever seen the preacher's belt, right, as he's been up here. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. It's been about a year and a half since I've, it hasn't been that long since I've been able to preach God's Word, but uh, just the familiar faces, people that I, that I know and love, it's been, it's been a long time, so Pray for me as I pray and bring God's word to you from James. So I'm going to read the passage, and uh, then just we'll, we'll walk through the passage together, just quite simply. This is James chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Heavenly Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Please bless the preaching of your word. Protect us from the enemy who would seek to kill and destroy. And be with us as we take one more step down this walk of wholeheartedness. So that all praise might be unto you, Lord Jesus Christ, as it was in the beginning, as now and ever shall be. Amen. So, James is talking to a people who have been dispersed. So, they're Christians. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then through persecution, they are scattered. And so you can imagine if it's persecution, they've lost family, they've lost friends, they've lost their social structures, they're probably in a country they don't speak the language, they, they may be forced to do something other than what they were doing as an occupation before, they may or may not have a home. And so they are poor in every sense of the word. And so when we hear what James actually tells them to consider it joy, you're like, you're like one of two things. Either he's crazy, and if you hear somebody, oh, you're almost like hearing him go, it's all right, don't worry about it. So he's almost like undermining what they're going through, or they're actually going through something very serious. And James is giving them, giving them some advice through trials of various kinds, advice that is so like foundational that it can meet anyone where they are through very difficult times. Now, that's the kind of stuff I'm interested in, right? Are you interested in that? All right, so I'm going to ask for some information. It is, it's too quiet, and it, it unnerves me a little bit. Um, and so these people are confused, they're dispersed, and his, and his advice is singular and so basic that he supposes that it'll meet their needs that it'll soothe their hearts. And then it's about bringing God joy, about bringing them joy, and about bringing them God glory in the world. It's almost as if he knows what they deeply desire. Because if you and I are in trials, we have all these kind of desires, right? I want my trial to end, however that might be. Or I want 
However, I cope with my desires to be readily available to me. But he's getting underneath all that, almost to like the core desire. And that's the kind of thing that I'm really interested in. And so what is it that he assumes they desire at their core when they are going through probably one of the most difficult times in their lives? And consequently, since God's word is, is right, it's, it's, it's active even today. What is it that you desire? Have you ever had anybody ask what you desire? Like, if, if you ask somebody, okay, what do you really want? They'll, they'll either get really, really pissed at you. <laughs> or they'll look at you like, Nobody, nobody's ever asked me that before. But how many of us could answer that, especially when we're going through really difficult times? Somebody came up to Jesus one time. I can't remember who it was. They were struggling with some illness. And he said, what do you want me to do for you? In other words, that question was like reaching a deep part. It's such a good question. You, you, you want to you hug him and hit him at the same time. And so what is it? that James assumes that these people deeply wanted and consequently by nature, what is it that God assumes that we deeply want when we are in our most difficult times? I'm going to start at the bottom of the passage and work your way up. Actually, kind of at the bottom middle, like verse 4. He says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, and here it is, that you might be perfect, complete and lacking in nothing that's the answer that you might be perfect complete and lacking in nothing now i don't know when i hear that word perfect that doesn't like ease my anxiety that makes me more anxious right you're going through like the worst circumstance of your life be perfect But what does perfect mean here? Perfect here doesn't mean, doesn't mean like in the Hellenistic sense, like be sinless. As much as it means more in a Jewish understanding to be integritous. Don't become or be divided. Don't be two-souled. That's what the word means. That's what he's saying. Don't be divided in your heart anymore. Be who you are. Be who you were created to be. Be perfect. That's what the Bible means when it says be pure. Let what's true on the inside of you come out unfiltered on the outside of you. Uh, back in Trinity Gardens, that's what you mean. Well, in our two, it's, you know the little emoji that has 100 and it's got the, like the three lines, it's red and it looks like somebody wrote it? That's what he's saying. I mean, not, not real, but close enough. It can mean full-blown character of stable righteousness. A grounded feeling of all right. That nothing in the world can shake me when I am operating from a place this deeply. Be perfect that you might be perfect. 
Think about that. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that at least something that you want? That no matter what happens to you, you can remain anchored and like legitimately all right. You might lose everything you've got, but you don't lose who you are and who you have in Christ. Who you've been made to be. That's perfect. Complete. Complete means intact. Whole. It pertains to being without shame and feelings of not being enough. In other words, who you've created to be, you're okay to be who you were created to be. And it gets complex, but not all of us are okay to be who we were created to be. Amen? And so there are these really glorious parts, these these really valuable parts of us that God has created to shine in the light. I always think of it like a, like a crayon, bo- box of crayons, like we're all a box of crayons in here. We're all crayons, but we've all got our, our, all, we've all got our particular color, right? What, what is it that makes your color yours? And a lot of times we take that, that really special part of us for whatever reason, we shove it down because it's so vulnerable and therefore so painful when somebody mishandles it. And we shove it down, we hide it. But when, when James is talking about being complete here, he means all those parts are in the light and they're a part of the whole. It's like the lost sheep in your soul has been reconciled back into the fold. Then he says, perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Literally, if we were to translate, lacking in no part. It means to be whole and not divided, moving and acting in life the way, in a way that is free on the inside and therefore free on the outside. Like, like what, are you, what are you thinking about right now? Wouldn't that be amazing? Like Katie and I just had a, a long, well, we had a retreat and we were talking about what, what do we want our life to look like in 10 years? And like, I want to be free this way. I want to be whole. I want to know who I am. I want to know what Jesus is calling me to do and be. And I want to do that no matter what. I want to be, I want to be who I was made to be. Like, is, that, is that hitting somewhere with you? That no matter what happens in your life, no matter what trial... This is also what James wants for his readers, for them to be whole, complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, there's something so good about that, that it can be good for all of us. And he understands that this is what the world needs from us. Our wholeness helps those in the world become whole because wholeness invites wholeness. And when we have a, when we are, when our heart is intact, like a whole heart, we follow the first commandment, right? To love the Lord your God, what? From a whole heart, with our whole heart. It's what we're made to do. It's what we're made to be. And so I love this text so much because it lets us know at a deep level what we desire. No matter where you are, no matter what's going on with you, 
there's something that you can hold on to. I don't know how to answer you right now, but I know that I want to I answer you with integrity. I don't know what to do right now, but I know I want to do what's in accordance with what is true about me and what was good for everyone involved. But how do we become like this? How do we become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? And isn't this the million-dollar question? So before we answer the question from the text, I want to I know how you do it. How have you answered that question? How would you answer this question? How do you become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? What has been historically your answer? You don't have to answer right now. Like, you don't have to like raise your hand and tell me, but like, think about it. Most of us probably, if we, if we were to write down the answer in our, in our Bible, right, we probably wouldn't answer it like James says. We'd probably involve Amazon and a book. We'd probably involve like some lectures. We'd probably involve maybe some counseling or like, some, uh, some Bible stories, which are all absolutely necessary and good. But how's James answer it? He says, by letting steadfastness while in a trial have its full effect. Steadfastness. The word refers to patiently enduring whatever comes without allowing distress to influence one's convictions, thinking, or lifestyle. It is a more active patience. It's more active than patience or merely allowing something to happen to you. So the, so the accent mark on patiently enduring is on the enduring. So you don't just like patiently like let it happen. You're not, we're not patiently letting trials happen. We are actually actively enduring the trial. We're engaging the trial. If we, if we want to state it simply, I believe it con, uh, connotes the ability to stay present in reality, in the reality of relationships, difficult relationships, and the re, in the reality of difficult circumstances with God, with self, with others, and with the world especially when that reality is difficult or painful, when it's unsafe, when things feel out of control, or when you feel rejected. Those three things, unsafe, out of control, or rejected. Most of the trials can fit under those categories. The opposite of steadfastness, so it's good to know what steadfastness looks like by looking at its opposite, right? So the opposite of steadfastness is leaving or checking out dissociating however you do that and we can do it in a number of ways how many of you are familiar with the ways that you check out anybody how many of you are honest about the way that you check out right, so i'm going to i'm going to give you some ways that we check out i'm going to go from the extreme ways all the way to the to the lower lower level ways of checking out extreme ways is we have we have language for this we lose our mind you lose who you are. You might lose control of your body. You might run from that context. There were times when I've literally gotten in my car and driven, hoping I was driving into oblivion. 
Like you're just, you're just driving. You can become abusive. We can check out with extreme lust or anger. It's extreme ways of checking out and not embracing the trial with steadfastness. There's moderate ways. We can avoid difficult relationships, situations, or conflicts. I'm good at that. We can defend ourselves in difficult conversations, situations, or conflicts. I'm good at that. We can make demands that we be understood. We can become offended easily. We can gossip about others. We can make quick judgments. And we can practice very little curiosity. Those are moderate ways of checking out. Lower level ways, we never communicate or even know our desires. We have trouble making eye contact with people. We thumb through our phone for no reason. Uh, boredom comes in for about five seconds and you just have to like check the phone. Float away in your imagination while someone is talking to you. These are ways that we check out. But here's the beauty of steadfastness. We can feel the warmth of Jesus in the winter of loneliness. So if the trial is that you feel rejected, if you lean into it, then you know what the warmth of Jesus feels like. When you allow the trial of being misunderstood, let it do its work. The scriptures that tell you who you are actually feel soothing to your soul. Steadfastness is a place where transformation happens. And so if you want to be transformed, I love one thing that Katie says, transformation is something that passively happens to us. You don't go out and do transformation yourself. You allow yourself to be transformed. That's, the beauty, that's one of the beauties of trials. Like if you want to be a transformed Christian, if you want to be complete, lacking in perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, you don't have to leave church right now and actually go pursue being perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. You only need to wait for trials and stay present when they happen. Isn't that great news? <laughs> Anybody, is that great news? <laughs> Steadfastness is our part in the transformation process. Being steadfast can be as something as sacred as choosing to go to sleep. I think Jesus does so much great work while we're sleeping. Isn't that like the epitome of grace without works? He's like, finally, Scott's asleep. <laughs> finally, he won't fight me. As we stay present and allow steadfastness to have its full effect, 
He's doing his work to make us whole. And that's a beautiful thing. And so if it's so beautiful, why is it so difficult? Right? Why is it, why is it even bitter? Why do we resist steadfastness so much? Why do we run so quickly? Why do we build systems in our lives of, of running and leaving? Why is it so hard to endure during trials? Here's the reason why. Because trials are not difficult situations that we enter into necessarily. They are situations that enter into us. They are situations that fall upon us. That's the nature of a trial. They come in various kinds. They don't ask your permission. And they are designed to get through all of your best defenses. Did you hear that? Trials are designed to get through our greatest defenses. To reach the most vulnerable parts of our soul that feel deeply unsafe, out of control, and unloved, and unlovable. That's why trials are so difficult. That's why remaining steadfast is so hard. When an unpredictable trial reaches the most fearful but valuable. Do you hear that? Fearful but valuable. Yet vulnerable parts of our soul, it's like a sacred moment. It's like the trial comes and reaches the most valuable but vulnerable part of our soul. And it's like they're both staring at each other. And like all the hosts of heavens are standing up and they're like going, okay, what's going to happen? Is he going to, are we going to, is he going to stay put or is he going to take off running? Because these parts of our soul don't trust anyone but ourselves. That's why it's called self-righteousness. We trust ourselves to be all right. Or the idol of the day. This is why trials that reach them are synonymous with the testing of your faith. Another right calls it the fiery trial that tests our faith like gold is tested. And so testing isn't it doesn't happen. The testing of our faith, the trial doesn't come in to test our faith to see if there's an imperfection like in gold, but, but trials come like a fiery trial, like fire comes to gold because there is imperfection in the gold. And so trials aren't coming in our lives because they're, they're testing to see if we're imperfect. They're coming because we are. But I want you to hear what imperfect means according to James. Imperfect means, yes, that we are sinless, that we are sinful, sinful. But the main point of imperfection is not that we are dirty, but that we're divided. The whole book of James is about how dangerous and hurtful being divided is. That's why it's sinful. So the testing doesn't come, the trial doesn't come to see if there's an imperfection, to see if there is something dirty, that it's coming because there is something divided in here. 
There's a lost sheep in here that needs to be rescued and reconciled. Back into the fold so that we'll be more wholehearted, so that we can love God with a more whole heart. Trials are the special ops mission of Jesus to reach and rescue the exiled parts of our soul that are locked away in the closets of shame and contempt. Like it's like, it's like heavenly SEAL Team 6. So when they're deployed and a trial comes upon you, it's a sacred moment. And what Jesus is saying is, stay put, son, daughter. Don't leave. About 10 more minutes. About, about 10 after is when, five after me. Okay. What does it mean to let steadfastness have its full effect? It says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. It means that we have to make very difficult decisions during trials to stay put and not check out while our faith is being tested. We have to let it do its work. And there are reasons, there are ways to do that. Right? One way to do that, like um, one of the stories that I'm looking at uh, that I love the most right now is in like 2 Samuel 6 or 16. I can't remember. Just, just check it. It's when Sh Shimei is this guy that's cursing King David. So you get the idea that King David, with all of his boys, are like driving down the road on their way to wherever they're going to do what they do. And there's this guy like walking alongside him and like kicking dirt like all over King David and like hurling insults at him and cursing him and probably like bringing up, aha, you can't even, you can't even, you know, do anything in your own household. How can you run a kingdom? Because all of the stuff with Absalom is going on and David's probably got so much going on in his heart when regards to Absalom. So he's throwing cursing. So David's homeboys are like, let's go kill him. And David's like, no. Why did he say no? He's like, who knows what the Lord is doing with this guy? Who knows? But I'm going to remain steadfast while he's doing this. And do you know, at the end of the passage, it said, David went down to the brook and he refreshed himself. Like, so staying steadfast doesn't mean just like, like that. It doesn't mean just like stay. He went down to the brook and he refreshed himself, which means there was some like water down there. He might have looked at water. But that word refreshed means he took deep breaths. This isn't going to be my plug on breathing, but I can give you one. I certainly can. But learning how to breathe has changed my life, especially during trials. And that word means he took deep breaths. And you know what? It's the same root for the spirit. There's something deeply connected when we breathe, when we inhale, and we make room for whatever is happening inside.
for the Spirit of God to do his work while he's on his special ops mission. How can we do this, especially when we often leave without even knowing it? How can we do this when the trial comes and before you even know what's going on, your brain has already caused you to lose your mind? Like you've already lost your mind. Anybody do that? Where you like say stuff and you're like, why am I saying this? Where it's just like a knee-jerk reaction and you've already done things you regret before you come back into your mind, right? Come back into reality. The beauty of this is, is that this is all, this is all part of a Jesus, uh, of, of, a, of a plan of Jesus who is relentlessly pursuing you because he loves you. And so James, at some point, what he's saying is, consider it joy. He doesn't say, when the trial's coming upon you, enjoy it. That's not what he's saying. One thing I love about our mind is it can't change everything. Like, you can't learn your way into a wholehearted person, even though learning is very valuable. But you can use your mind to go, oh, I'm not present right now. You can say, oh, I'm thumbing through my phone for no good reason at all. I wonder what Jesus is doing inside. So when I put down the phone, I start breathing because he's doing something in here. Or if, if I start losing my mind, I'm going, oh, there must be a trial. There's a trial going on. I need to be present because wholeheartedness is happening right now. Like there's a mission of Jesus going on right now. Do you see how like because Jesus has paid for us by faith, we can say this is not his condemnation that is raining down on us. This is his love being poured out on us. And this is the difficult work that we could never do that he is doing with us, in us, for us, for the world. We understand trials so much differently. And so James is going, use your mind to do what you know you need to do during trials. In other words, be present. Let Jesus, the lover of your soul, do his work to go rescue that lost sheep way down in there that you have exiled off all of your life. And yes, it's going to be uncomfortable as he takes that sheep, throws it over his shoulder, kind of like the picture, right? And brings it right back into the fold. Because if difficult reconciliation happens on the inside, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be able to be someone who pursues difficult reconciliation on the outside. And that's what James calls true and undefiled religion. Because you've done the hard work of making this really difficult reconciliation, being steadfast, and you know what it's like to have reconciliation happening inside, to be more wholehearted, we become people who go out and we pursue and we're ministers of reconciliation on the outside to make more whole communities. That's the gospel. And when we lose our mind, we can always repair. 
We know we can repair with Jesus. Jesus, I just lost my mind. I ran from you for like three hours. And he's like, come back to me. Come back to me, I'm waiting. And you can go to the person that you lost your mind to and you can say, I lost my mind. Can I try again? And if they're doing the hard work of reconciliation, they're like, come back to me. Because they know what it's like. And so when James says, consider it joy, that's what he means. Use your mind to understand that there's a special ops mission going on to make this awesome reconciliation on the inside. And when reconciliation happens on the inside, it's going to happen on the outside. And that's what joy actually is. When people come together who are actually reconciled and you have a meal together and you have fun drink together and like you, you have that, there's this, like this party, right, downtown at some, where, you, where you're like having fun and like with other people and you know what laughter is and you're enjoying one another. And then what's really great is you're enjoying one another that you've been, with, been through so much with. And so don't endure the temptation. Don't run from sin because you don't want to be a sinner. But because you want to be whole. And that's what we are made for. To be whole, to be complete, to be lacking in no part, in nothing. No matter what happens. Let's pray. Lord Jesus. Will you please, at this moment, reveal to us more through the Lord's Supper just how interested you are in pursuing those deep places within us in a very practical way. Lord, we thank you for your word. And in a really strange sense, we, oh man, I don't even want to pray, but we thank you for trials. Thank you for doing the work that we can't do to make us happy, joyful in this world.